We just send different folks through uh, stuff you're doing. So if that's you, let us know. Fill out a connection card or can get in touch with us. Just let us know that's you. We'd love to be able to recognize you, pray for you. So if you're going to summer missions, let us know. Second thing, um, and for those of you who are newer to our community, we actually had uh, one of our beloved uh, partners pass away last, last, man, time is just being weird, uh, Dennis. And we're having a celebration of life uh, gathering this evening at 5 o'clock. We're going to be meeting up here. Um, if you would like to come out, obviously, to just take some time to remember, we're going to uh, we're going to gather as a community, grieve in some ways, but also celebrate celebrate life. Uh, please come out 5 o'clock. We're trying to make this a potluck dinner thing afterwards, so if you can bring a dish to share with others, that'd be fantastic. And come a little few minutes earlier, take it downstairs, and we've got some people there who are setting up, so we'll, I'll set that up. And um, I, I just want to put this out there. We are expecting a lot of people to come in from the community for this uh, this evening. Um, and for us as a church, if you're here, just keep that in mind as we, obviously, we, we talk about life and death and all that's involved with that. We also realize that God continues to use us, even in our brokenness, even in our wounds and our, and our things that are hurting us. Um, be ready to minister because there's a lot. Dennis, <laughs> Dennis has a big impact on people, so I'm expecting there's going to be a lot of people here. And just be ready to hear love, serve, um, be with folks today. So. Um, as we think about that, we go into today's sermon. We're continuing the series called Scars. And we've looked at some uh, pretty weighty issues. Yeah, we're the light and fluffy church, right? We uh, talk about <laughs> how God just wants to give you your best dreams and all that, that kind of stuff. We, I mean, we, we dig deep into it. We're talking about scars. And we've looked at issues like uh, family brokenness and uh, relational brokenness, um, things like that. And particularly with a lot going on in our church, um, just, I think God is in, in some ways preparing us for real issues of life, real brokenness, because we don't live in a vacuum. These are not theoretical things we talk about, and in a way, and I want to be really careful. I'm not saying that because we're talking about this stuff, God's giving us the opportunity to live it out now. That's just, that's just whack theology, right? We're not, we're not like that, but I believe God, you know, however he does it, had planned for stuff to happen and in his mercy, he's preparing us to talk about real issues, to be that kind of church community where this is not just about fluffy spirituality, but it's about real stuff. And how do we find hope in the gospel even in the midst of that? Amen? So today, we're probably digging into one of the more lighter topics in the series, depression. Um, yeah, it's okay to laugh a little bit. It's, it's, it's okay. And I, I, we just thought it's important to talk about this because, in, in my opinion, the church traditionally has not done a good job uh, with issues of mental health in general. We, we just haven't. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But I think one is that mental illness, and particularly depression, it just doesn't fit well into our American system of quick fixes. I mean, we are all about quick fixes. If you lo want to lose weight, hey, we got a seven-day program. You can lose like 30 pounds, right? You know, we've got, we're all about quick fixes overnight, whatever I can get done now. Um, and and the, the scary thing is the church has often followed society in the same way. Rather than being different from the world, we're just along, and we offer these weird kind of things like four steps to an incredible marriage. Just come these four steps and just, or seven steps to be the most amazing follower of Jesus Christ. Just plug this, and it, life just doesn't work that way. Life just doesn't work that way. So when we talk of then about uh, mental illness, depression, it's a little scary because you just can't put it into a formula, into a little program. And, and we've got to affirm the Bible never calls us to just fake it till we make it. 
You know, the Bible just never calls it to just be, you know, just put on a good image just till you get, till you get home. But unfortunately, that's sometimes become the only alternative. Many who struggle with mental illness, depression, and other forms, sometimes they feel like that's the only option that's available. Just kind of put on a nice face, just suck it up for an hour and a half on Sundays, groups, and you just make it through. Don't share these things because you don't want to be the one bringing everyone down. So we keep these struggles in the dark, and we battle on our own. And we talk about this a lot here at the village, right? One of the big steps in healing in all ways and transformation is that we have to take these things that often always been relegated in the dark and bring it into light. Just like a good fungus or mold, it's going to grow in darkness. You need to bring it into the light so there can be some exposure and healing and into the light of Christ. Amen? That, that's what we need to hear. So I, I say all that. As a preface, because there is no possible way that one sermon will, like, quote, unquote, fix us. We would love that, wouldn't we? Come on, man. This is not what you went to school for. Just give me that one message that will cure my depression forever. It it just doesn't happen that way. And I want to put that out there just so that we don't have unrealistic expectations. But what we do, what we are doing is we're opening the door to conversation. Or hopefully for some of you, especially if you struggle with these things and there's doors been closed, we just want to open that up and start to say, hey, let's talk about this. This is real. And and that's our goal for today, that for some of us, and and if the statistics prove correctly, that it's a good number of us, uh, if you've been tangled in the cords of depression, that we might open the door to hope that some of us have always felt is beyond our reach. For those of you, and I don't, if you've struggled with this at all, depression, I know I have. Sometimes one of the big prevailing things, you just feel like hope is out of reach. Hope is for that guy over there that just looks really happy when they're singing. But not for me. Not for my heart. We want to say the hope in Jesus Christ is available for all of us. So that's, that's our goal today. Um, I am re- really excited uh, to be able to team teach this morning. Uh, we have... Dr. Matt Taylor, who's a partner of our church, and he is going to be team teaching uh, from some of his own experience. So let's welcome him up as he gets us going here. Good morning, guys. Um, So as a lot of you probably know, um, not well, as many of you know, I work downtown. I'm a psychiatry resident at Hopkins. Um, So I work in mental health, which is a real privilege for me. I I love my work, and so I'm really happy to be able to share some of my experience with you guys here. Um, So as a psychiatrist, one would think that I know something about depression. It's a large part of my job. But my own experience with depression goes back far before I had any idea that I wanted to work in mental health. Um, As a physician, as a psychiatrist, I've seen the full spectrum of mental suffering, which can take as many forms as there are people in the world. But as a patient, I've known and felt that suffering myself and have felt God's love pulling me through. And actually coming to the village was a big part of helping me through my time of depression. Um, So that experience, more than anything else, is what makes me really happy to share with you guys this morning. Um, So for much of my life, before um, before I was saved, I lived under the general assumption, the general prediction that at some point I was going to commit suicide. Um, it wasn't something I was planning. I didn't have a particular date or time in mind. Um, but I knew that at some point in the future, the scales in my life were going to tip and the reasons to die would outweigh the reasons to live. And that would be it. Um, or to put it another way, there would come a point when life would be so meaningless, so painful and hopeless. And the reasons for living would be so few 
that there would be no other choice. It's important to understand for a, that for a lot of people who commit suicide, to them in that moment, it seems like the only possible choice. Think of it as being in a house on fire. You're trying to put out the flames or maybe just to live with it, but there comes a point when you can't bear it any longer. The pain and the heat and the noise, and so you have to find a way out. So you leave the only way you know. You don't know what's waiting for you outside, but anything is preferable to burning alive. This is the nature of suicidal despair. It's interesting that, as Dan has said, um, the church has not always done a great idea or done a great job of appreciating the consequences of mental illness because it's in the Bible very clearly. Um, so I think hopefully we can pull up the verse here. But if we were to go to uh, the Psalms where David described in really remarkable detail what anyone today would look at and call severe DSM-5 criteria meeting depression, right? So Psalm 6 reads, I'm weary with moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench the couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. And then a few pages later, we look at Psalm 22. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Christ himself is known to spare as well. In Gethsemane, he pleads, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And the next morning on the cross, he cries, Eli, Eli, lema sakpathani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David persisted in his love for God, and in time he was pulled out of it. Psalm 6 goes on, The Lord has heard my plea, the Lord accepts my prayer. In Psalm 22, He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. In the same way, Christ suffered and died the wretched death that we sinners deserve, but reigns victorious exactly because of this sacrifice. Even in the depths of despair, even as we suffer, God has not abandoned us. This fact, more than anything else, saved my life and opened my eyes to the transformative power of God. Nothing else in my life could have saved me because nothing else in my life, um, nothing else in this sinful, broken world compares to God's power. Now, it's important that I point something out here. Am I suggesting that the cure for depression, for mental illness in general, is to pray harder and trust more deeply in God? Is depression really another word for having insufficient faith? I don't think so. Our science still has many gaps, but of this much we can be certain. Depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, anxiety disorders are all diseases of the brain as real as diabetes, leukemia, or stroke. I won't bore you with the details, and many people have devoted their lives to studying these topics, but suffice it to say that there is something qualitatively different about the chemicals and structures in a brain of a person with depression versus a person without. I can also say with confidence that anyone who's experienced severe depression or psychosis or has seen a loved one go through it will appreciate that the difference between sadness and depression is not merely one of degree. 
I should add that while our faith certainly influences the way that we experience depression, the two are quite separate. Suffering through depression does not transform us into Christians, and not experiencing depression does not prevent us from being able to fully appreciate the magnitude of Christ's sacrifice. Mental illness, like any other kind of illness, is above all evidence of the brokenness of our world and of our beings. Thanks, man. And I really want to emphasize those last few thoughts. That's good. Good job, man. That's good. Um, I, I really want to emphasize those last, last, last few thoughts, um, that it doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian or that you're somehow doing this thing incorrectly if you are experiencing the deep sorrows of depression. Because some of you might have even heard that from people, that if you're going through these things, you just need to pray this away. Come on, you just need to pray harder. You just need a little more hand. Oh, yeah. and, um, and, and to the contrary, I would actually suggest that maybe because you're going through these things might even be evidence for some people that God is at work in your life. Because as Matt noted, you are in good company when you look throughout Scripture. If you are experiencing depression and some of the things that go along with it, you are actually in good company. And I want to look at one psalm that describes the depression of one of our biggest heroes, right? And I use quotes around that because often our heroes in the Scripture are like jacked up men and women, right? But those are heroes. David. And David, you know, usually when you're a kid, you hear the stories of, like, him, like, uh, killing a giant and, like, tearing lions' heads off and bears and all. I don't know. That's the kind of stuff I was taught in Sky. I know it didn't exactly go there, but that's how I imagine it. You, you're, you have all these glamorous stories. You don't hear much about the depression. But when we look at the psalm, as much as it describes the despair, you got to listen for this. It also describes the hope that is found in God in the midst of this struggle. So let's look at Psalm 42. Um, uh, first few verses of this, and a lot of these thoughts are inspired by a good friend of mine from a church called Veritas, Nick Nye, uh, who helped through some of this. But Psalm 42, starting verse 1, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And if you have a Bible and if you have a heading above this Psalm 42, it describes this psalm as a masculine. And basically, there's no good equivalent in English for a masculine. So they just say it's a masculine, which means you and I have no clue what that means. But this is a declaration of wisdom and truth. Because um, sometimes you just need to sing songs, read poetry. That's true, even if you don't feel it at the moment. And that's what these masculines are. It's declaring truth, even if you don't feel that within your bones. And it's important to recognize here because this song is written by a man who was deeply depressed. And, and by, uh, David, you might not get that when you look at the opening line, verse 1, right? Because when I was a kid, and this is probably showing how old I was, one of the best. We didn't have, like, cool music like this. We sang songs like, as the deer panteth for the water. And, and, and then you would have, like, little images of, like, little bambies, like, running around, like, just lapping water at, and, you know. You know, being so cute looking, and then you would get into the mood like, yeah, that's how I am before God, just resting in him, you know. I just need a little alone time with my, my streams and just, ooh, that's cool, soothing water. Um, man, that's so dumb, right? Because what this deer should really look like is like Bambi's like dead. 
Bambi's like dead on his side, like heaving. Like you see his ribs because he hasn't eaten and drank in a long time. He is dead tired. He's been in, in an area where there's been no water. So he, he's, when he's panting, looking for streams of living water, it's about, he's about to pass out. He's that thirsty. He just wants something to quench his dry lips. It, it's a deer that's about to collapse from lack, from thirst for a drink of water. And that's why he needs it so much. And for us, then, that's how much we need God. Not like, I just need a little comfort today. But like, I have nothing else. I am like dying here. I need help. This is real stuff, guys. And the psalmist, we see in verse 3, right, that, that David's tears are quenching his thirst. But they only leave him worse off. And they mock him, saying, where is your God? And, and wisdom for us is to recognize that we all, every single one of us, and we're a very diverse church, right? But the one common thing among all of us, we all have the same common need within us to quench this thirst. And we don't necessarily put that language on it, but there's something broken, something wrong within us, and we don't know what it is. And whether it involves Jesus or not, we're looking for something to take away this ache in our soul, to take away this thirst that we feel. So we go to all of these different things, whether we work harder and we'll be successful or we'll build a good family or we'll just make a lot of coin or whatever it is, or we'll just look good. You know, we maybe were crushed on the inside, but hey, I look good. We'll we'll, we'll look for whatever it is and we'll just pour ourselves into it. And it's like we're drinking these things, trying to quench the soul thirst. When in the end, all it does is make us more thirsty. It's like if you're thirsty and if someone, some cruel person would give you a big jar of salt water. And you just drink it down thinking that you're quenching thirst. And you're like, oh, I'm really worse off than I am. That, that's what our soul thirst is when we're looking for all of these different ways to quench the ache within our souls. So God is saying, you all got this thirst. And you can quench it the ways that you've always tried. Or you can cry out to the living God. And, and this is important for us to, to know here. You can go to God and cry. You can go to God and weep. Some of us just associate tears as a negative thing, but there are healthy tears. There are tears of sorrow, yes, but there are also tears of of need and of dependence. And that tears will come in this life. If you live life long enough, you will encounter things that will bring you tears. That's common for every single one of us. And it's been reminding me because I, I've got little girls, right? And, and they cry about a lot of stuff. So my default is don't cry. Don't cry. You don't cry. But lately I've been actually saying, you know, it's okay to cry. Just cry about the good things. Like if I'm not giving you a chicken nugget, that's not a reason to cry. But, but if you experience things that really hurt, it's okay to cry. Because even many of us, we've been raised in environments that you just don't cry. Big people don't do that. Big girls don't do that. Big boys don't do that. But it's okay to cry. Because it might be situational. It might be something tragic that happens in life or something really hard in a moment. Or or realistically, you might have this gray cloud kind of following you around your whole life. But God, whatever it might look like for us, God wants us to cry out to him. He wants us to pant for him. He wants us to long for him. So in the midst of this depression that David's experiencing, in verse 4, we see that he remembers his better times. 
he recounts his times of just worshiping God, leading the throngs. And I don't know what a throng looked like there, but it says he leads throngs to, to go meet God. And he remembers those victories. He remembers those times when he intimately felt the experience of God, when he felt that God was close, even if he might not be feeling that right now while he's writing this. Even if he's not in the state now where he experiences the closeness of God, he takes time to actively remember. But I remember those days. I remember those days when, when I would pray. It didn't feel like I was just talking to a wall, but God seemed to really be there. And I remember when I would sing the songs, it wasn't just like Christian karaoke, but God was actually moving my heart. And there was soul, and I believed he was real, even though I don't believe it right now or feel it. And I would suggest for us that in those overwhelming spots of life, when, when those times of depression kick in, I think one redemptive step is that we, we pour out our soul to remember better days, joyous times. That even right now, though, though I don't feel it, um, I'm going to remember better times. Remember a time that God has spoken to you. Remember a time that God has worked in your life and he showed you great things. And, and we see that as he remembers in verse 5, He's called in verse 5 to defy his depression. What does he say? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? He's basically called to defy this depression. Yeah, it's there. It's real. Come on, guys. Let's acknowledge it. This is real stuff. But defy it. Speak to his face. His soul has been depressing him. And it's been crushing him. So in response, he does some soul talking. And I don't know if you've ever done soul talking. I've got a coach. He's trying to take me through this. It felt really weird in the beginning. Could I be like, Dan, you know, you should stop believing those things about yourself because the gospel says otherwise. I'd be like, you sure, Jim? I feel like a total idiot doing this. He's like, keep doing it. You need to talk to your soul. And it's become a normal part of my journey. Not, again, not to fool myself like I'm talking with another person, but to remind myself of the truths of God. And he has to do, David has to do some self-talking here. Soul, why are you so downcast? Soul, why is there so much turmoil within me? And his defiant declaration as he's saying these things, hope in God. That's what he's telling his soul. In the midst of your soul being crushed, hope in God. Because I don't know if you've ever been depressed. Um, I've actually come from histories of depression. Um, I mean, my type was the type, and Dr. Man, maybe we can talk later about this. I mean, like I would wake up. And not be able to leave my bed for like a week, that type of depression. I would just stay in bed the whole time and just go do potty. Go to the bathroom. I kids, right? Go. (laughs) But you know, really, don't go, go, don't get up. Don't even eat. And for me, I got to be really depressed. Don't even go eat for like a week at a time. So in those times, it feels like depression takes over your life, doesn't it? I mean, it becomes consuming. And I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that before. It becomes consuming your life. And, and what again, if we keep things in dark, if we constantly put things into that junk drawer and keep closing it up, just keep uh, bottling it up here, we begin to be defined by our depression. Our depression starts to say who we are. It starts to label who we are. But we need to listen to this. Depression is not a reliable voice. It's real. I mean, it's there. But depression is a liar. It's not a reliable voice because depression says, hey, Joker, this is who you are. And this is all you are. And this is all you'll ever be. 
And it says these messages to you. Yeah, you're never going to get out of this. You're never going to feel anything. This is all you are. Um, but what God says is that we can be honest. We don't have to sugarcoat. We don't have to say, oh, just stop believing. Just pray it away. You just need to pray. God saying, no, you can be honest. You actually feel these things. These are real. Your soul is crushed. This is real. Acknowledge it. Say you're downcast and cry out to God in hope. So instead of covering it up, make war against it. To that haunting, accusing voice, basically you're saying, shut up! To the voices, to, 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 the, to depression, to the sorrow, to the grief. You're saying, shut up. You do not define me. Let God define you rather than your depression defining you. Because you have to talk to yourself and remember that God sees you not as your despair, but he sees you as Christ's righteousness. In the moments of your deep sorrow, You have to remember how God sees you. He sees you as an adopted child, as his little boy, little girl. He sees you as forgiven. He sees you as righteous. He sees you as his child. He sees you as pure and blameless. And you have to hold on to these things. Because you have to remind depression. Say, yo, depression, your your days are numbered. (laughs) I know you think you got a hold on my heart, and man, you are brutal. But depression, yo, your days are numbered. Because one day, we have to remember that we will dance with joy because Christ has crushed that despair. Amen? And it might not be today. It might not even be to your last breath in this body, though hopefully you continue to grow in that. But Christ will crush that despair. So I wanted Matt to come up and share some practical steps of how we live some of these truths out um, as we move forward. So I'm going to speak a little bit more as a uh, psychiatrist in particular. Um, So we're kind of in agreement now that mental illnesses are diseases, a part of our broken existence, and like any disease, they can affect anyone. Does that mean they need to be treated with pills? Well, not necessarily. Many people can get better without medications, although that doesn't mean without treatment. Keep in mind that psychiatric medications like antidepressants, mood stabilizers, and antipsychotics in particular are one of the most significant developments of 20th century medicine and collectively have saved millions of lives. They have their role in treatment, and some forms of mental illness, particularly bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, probably can't be treated without them. Certainly, they've been essential to my own recovery. But there's also a definite role for psychotherapy focusing on thoughts, emotions, behaviors, relationships, addictions, and so on. And in many cases, a competent, empathic, and thoughtful therapist is going to be as good as, if not better than, the perfect pill. So let me just finish with a few tidbits of advice. First of all, don't be afraid to ask for help or to seek treatment. Help is out there, and you don't have to suffer. The stigma of mental illness has started to dissipate in recent years, as we've come to realize that depression or schizophrenia are not something to be ashamed of any more than a heart attack or cancer. Any of you, of course, are welcome to come talk to me, and I can help you find the right resources. You can also approach Dan, the elders, Larry, or Rob, and they can send you in the right direction. In an emergency, if you or a loved one are feeling utterly lost or hopeless, don't be afraid to call 911 or a suicide crisis hotline or go directly to a hospital. It's an unfortunate fact that many people with mental illness go untreated because they did not know where to find help until it was too late. 
Second, don't be afraid to lean on your community in times of struggle. One of the greatest benefits I've known since joining the village has been having a tight-knit, reliable community of support. It's well known that among those with mental afflictions, those who have strong support networks of friends and family almost always fare better than those without supports. What a blessing that this is not only a part of the village's mission, but is an, indeed an essential part of being a Christian, being part of the body of Christ. We've been made to complement one another, to work in unison, and to support one another. This means a willingness not just to help a brother or sister in need, but to be willing to accept help when we need it. And finally, when we see a friend or a loved one in need, the most essential thing that we can provide is also what lies at the heart of our faith, to love one another. Depression is an affliction lacking any simple or obvious cure. Trying to solve your loved one's problems by offering platitudes and empty praises is not likely to help. What will help the most is love, sensitivity, and a willingness to listen. Reminding your brother or sister that God is with them is a statement of fact, but living out that love and sharing it with them is acting out our mission from God. I'm guessing if you're like any other normal room, there are some of you, especially if you've struggled with depression, maybe you're even in it right now, you're really skeptical or you're kind of like, yeah, whatever, because um, you're not convinced because you've tried it. I mean, you've tried like everything everyone's always suggested. And again, that's why we continue to reiterate here. It's important to remember this is not a quick fix solution we're talking about. We're not going to have like a special prayer time after this and come lay hands and boop, you know, you're healed. No more depression. Bye-bye depression. Go fly away. I, I mean, I, I wish. Um, it, it might take like weeks after weeks, months. I mean, it keeps coming back. And, and, it's, and this is where it gets real, right? In a community like this, because we'll go to a, This is the scenario how it happens. You'll go to a community group, which, again, we want to encourage you to do, to talk about these things. You'll go to your group, and you're going to take that brave step. And you've been praying about it. And you're going to announce to the group, hey, guys, I, I have to be real. Man, those, that, that, that doctor that talked on Sunday, he was so real. And, man, the pastor was kind of crazy. But I, I feel convicted. I, I need to talk about this. And you're going to say, I have struggled through deep depression through much of my life. And, and what's going to happen is the whole group is going to be like, Oh, man, and surround you and pray and tears are going to be shed and hands are going to come and laying on the hugging. I guarantee you that's what's going to happen. But the next week, you're going to come back and say, guys, I'm struggling with depression. Everyone's like, okay, well, let's pray. And a month later, hey, guys, I'm still struggling with depression. And in the mind, start saying, man, I thought you'd be over this by now. It's been like a month. You keep talking about the same thing. And, and if it's you, you'll also get frustrated. And you get to that point where you just want to stop talking about because you're like, I'm getting the eye from people. I've become that person in a group where no one wants me to talk. And, and you start to imagine. That's where you got to do self-talk again. And, guys, this is why we talk as a community. This is not a quick fix, six-week program to get out of depression. This is why I hope this village church lasts for a while because, like, 5, 10, 15 years down the line, we're walking together. Those of you who God keeps here, we're walking together, and we're able to say, hey, Man, isn't it been amazing how God has led us through this process? Wow. Didn't you think it was going to happen like that first week? But it didn't. <laughs> but we've seen God working through this whole time. And it has to start with the first step in some kind of community with a few brothers or sisters where you talk about these things honestly. Because the truth is, um, some of us, we might carry some of these things our whole life. I mean, that, I think that's reality. And... 
Um, you might carry certain elements of this despair your whole life. And I'm not saying that to try to discourage you. Like, you, if you're new here, like, man, this guy stinks. He just like, can you tell me this is going to go away next month? Uh, when summer hits, it's just seasonal disaffective. And once it's sunshiny, um, the reason, I don't mean, I don't say that to try to discourage you. Actually, the opposite. I'm trying to encourage you so that somehow you don't think what you're experiencing makes you abnormal. Right? Because a lot of us in church, that's what we've believed. That when you've gone through these things, I'm somehow the abnormal and I'm, I'm, I'm not normal. Everyone else here, they, man, they look happy. They come in here eating, they're drinking their coffee and like high-fiving one another. What's wrong with me? And you got to know um, that, you know, this experience that you're going through, it might not necessarily mean the absence of God in your life. What you're feeling, as real as it is, it might not necessarily mean that God is not walking with you. But it might even be that God is speaking to you. What is God trying to say to you in your depression? That those moments of despair are not necessarily God trying to punish you, but perhaps it's a severe mercy upon you, that he's trying to free you by whatever means necessary. I mean, if you look at Matthew 5, some will not turn there, but you can read on your time. Jesus does these beatitudes. And the thing is, he talks about things like, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn. Here's the thing. If you read those verses and you've never suffered, they mean absolutely nothing to you. You're like, oh, yeah, okay, blessed. Oh, I don't get it, but okay, I could, Jesus said it, so it must be real. Put it on a bumper sticker somewhere, right? But when you've mourned, when you've been broken in spirit, when you've been poor, when you have nothing else to cling to, you start to say, I see what Jesus is saying there. That when I have nothing left in this life, he's offering himself. And for a lot of us, often the way that we come to know God is through the poverty of our spirit. Not when we're sky high, not when everything is going well, but when do we seek God out? When we have nothing left to hold on to. And we might discover Jesus in ways that we might never otherwise. And this has just been my experience. I think that sometimes there are people who experience depression. I think sometimes there's a deeper glimpse into the heart of Jesus. I'm, I'm not going to say you go out and go get depressed so you can understand Jesus more. Don't, don't do that. Be, be wise. But, but when we hear things like Jesus is a man of sorrows, that he's someone acquainted with grief, um, you start to believe that Jesus actually knows my sorrow. He knows what it means because he came to experience it for himself. When he went on this thing called a cross, and we talked about it a lot last week, right? But we always talk about the cross. When we on, went on this journey of being totally abandoned, of even crying out like Matt said earlier to his father, why have you forsaken me? This cat understands grief and sorrow and depression. And he didn't have to. He was the one that didn't have to, yet he entered our world so that he could take that upon himself. Imagine your worst day, Christ has taken that upon himself. That if you are weak, he knows it, and he gives you strength. And I believe that there is total transformation possible in Christ. I really do. I couldn't do what I do if I didn't believe that. I believe there is total transformation possible, but I don't think that total transformation necessarily means you will not still struggle with depression. Does that make sense? That you can fully be transformed in Christ, but you will still struggle. The difference, of, the difference is that the good news of Jesus says you don't need to do it alone. 
God promises he will be with you. Amen? So let me ask you to stand up. And let's go worship team to come up. We're going to have some time to sing. And we're going to sing and pray. And we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. We have the Lord's Supper up here, the communion table. We have in the middle the broken body of Christ demonstrated for us. That he's not a man unfamiliar with grief and sorrow, even to his own self. And on the sides, we have the two cups reminding us of the broken body that shed this blood. That forgiveness of, uh, of our sin. If you're a Christian, I would encourage you to come up, even as you sit in your depression, come up and remind yourself. Tell yourself of the story of Jesus through taking these elements. If you're not a Christian, whether you are or if you're not, I'm going to ask you, come to Jesus today, even in your sorrow. As you've tried everything else to remove your depression, as you've tried better grades, as you've tried better looks, as you've tried better um, entertainment, as you've tried more vacations, as you've tried better job, as you've tried better relationships, as you've tried better clothes, as you've tried better activities, as you've tried better weather, as you've tried all these things, can I invite you, try Jesus. Come to him. Bring your sorrows. Don't feel you have to lay them there and then come to the table. Bring them right to the table and give them to the only one who knows what to do with them. And let him speak to you and minister to you. And if this is your first time doing that, let Jesus hold you in your depression. Because he'll do it better than anyone else can. Amen? Lord, help us as we come before you. And we're not saying that just from one nice little sermon or worship service, things will automatically change. But for many of us, perhaps this is a little glimmer of hope. Maybe the door is just starting to get cracked. And those things that we've always held inside thinking we've just got to take care of it, put on a nice, shiny, happy face. Maybe you're saying, put that down. Be honest. Be like that deer, panting, needing more, saying, I can't do this anymore. I need something beyond myself. And Lord, we cry out for your mercy. We thank you that ultimately our cries are not futile, but they're founded in the Christ who came, experienced that deep sorrow for us. And Lord, may we know with confidence that even on this earth, as good as things might get, we will never totally be absent of this pain. But one day is coming when we will be, when we will see your face fully, and these things will not be stuff that we struggle with. But until that day, Lord, we hold on to you. We cry out to you. We need you. Help us, Lord. Help us. Man of sorrows, be our hope. Stay. So I invite you to pray. Maybe pray with some other people around you. Maybe if, you're, if you feel honest enough, tell someone, can you pray for me? I need some help. Pray for one another. When you're ready, come up individually or in groups. Receive the communion. Both sides come up, both aisles at the same time. And let's let God minister to us and let's minister to one another, guys.